Thanks, Adele. Well, let's just start with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, we can be here today, Lord. I just pray that you help me to bring your word and say what needs to be said, Lord, to you, what you want to say to your people. And we pray uh, that you'll anoint it, Lord, so that people can receive it. We pray you'll give hearts to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, that was a fantastic word, Adele. Um, just following on from that, I'd just like to look at Jeremiah 29:11, and it'll come up on the screen because some of the versions are different. Um, I'd rather use the version that's up there. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, said the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So God has, has plans for us. And he's an expected end. His expected end is in line with his goodness and his mercy and his compassion to us, which was demonstrated when he gave himself on the cross. Proverbs 18, 20 to 21. Again, on the board, don't bother scrambling through your Bibles. My apologies, I'm scrambling. Uh, maybe I should turn around and read it. <laughs> um, right, 18... 20 to 21. You know, there's a funny thing about the Word of God that you kind of remember scriptures and, and, you, and, you just, and you just remember half a scripture and then, and then when you go and look at it, you actually find the other bit makes it completely different. Um, but anyway, um, Proverbs 18, 20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. I'm not talking about what you eat, it's talking about what you say. And Romans 12.12. Romans 12. I'm just getting these out of the way before I start to speak, because otherwise I'll probably forget them, and I want to say them. Uh, Romans 12.2, sorry, Romans 12.2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renew renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To prove the will of God means to actually, actually experience it. Now in the morning, when we get up, we should probably be saying, praise the Lord, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, I don't always say that when I wake up and look at the day. So what is my expectation? What am I, what am I actually speaking into my day? The message today is going to about, be about the importance of words and God's word, which is the highest thing in the universe, and our own words, 
And this is the best place to be on the first Sunday of the new year because God was going to be here anyway, even if you weren't. Even if you didn't come, he would have been here. So you would have missed a blessing. Um, you know, there's a saying, people forsake their own mercy if they're not actually in church on Sunday because we come under God's word and God's word is to change us and bring us into his peace, bring us into the shalom, um, the Hebrew says, of God. Through his word, that's how he wants to do it. He wants to do it through his word. And he can do that when we listen to God's word or we read it or sing it. And we've already done all those three things, so we're off to a good start. Words come from three sources. There's God's words, people's words, and Satan's words. Some words are positive, some negative, and some don't mean much. Neutral, you could say. Hello is a pretty neutral word. You could say hi. You could use it mockingly. You could say hello. Anybody there? But a Hebrew speaker would greet you and say both hello and goodbye using shalom. Shalom carries several meanings, some of which are peace, tranquility, well-being, contentment, the blessing of God. So God set the word shalom in place in the language of his chosen people so that every personal interaction would begin with a measure of his blessing. That's his heart towards us. We can also see that shalom involves change and progress to something better. Because if we greet someone with a blessing, it implies either that they need to be blessed or that the measure of blessing they already have will be increased. The word Jerusalem includes the word shalom, more correctly pronounced, probably completely wrongly by me, Yerushalayim. It means city of peace. But it's very obviously not a city of peace. Nor has it been since it was established thousands of years ago. Right now, it's the most disputed city in the world. God says we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. There has to be a lot of change for that to happen, for the peace of Jerusalem to come. Scripture tells us that the peace of Jerusalem will only come when the enemies of God are defeated. And peace is only going to come through war. We have a, a war to fight on a personal level if we are to enjoy the shalom of God, in our case a spiritual war, not a physical war. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual weapons. Jesus said, my words are spirit and our life. On the way to church from where I live, which is Wanneroo, um, there is a construction site at the corner of Wanneroo Road and Ocean Reef. I don't know if anybody's been through there. Uh, it is one of the biggest... I won't use any detrimental terminology in view of what I'm saying, but <laughs> when you drive down the road towards it, or when it was first there, it's getting a bit better now, when you come down the road, you can't even see the road anymore. It's gone. You just saw 
you just see earth and barriers and concrete and stuff like that. And your normal default, my normal default mode is to start to make negative comments and complaints about it. My wife, because she's learned so much through teaching Sunday school and the Word of God, will say, oh, it's going to be a beautiful road when it's finished. <laughs> so she's looking forward. She's looking forward to the, to the end result. And we are, unfortunately, in a lot of respects, we're, we're a bit of a construction site that God's working on. Um, and it can be messy. But all of those things that come into our lives that we tend to make negative comments about um, are actually designed for something good to come. There's a change going on. We've heard about change this morning from uh, Adele when she was talking. Our default mode, society's default mode, you could say is negative. Um, the media of the world is negative. Uh, they seem to know that good news sells. There's something, I don't know, there's something in human beings that likes negativity. Some people will even go and watch horror movies to get scared, um, as if there isn't enough fear around already. I, I, I'm too scared to go and watch them in the first place. <laughs> and let's have a look at Numbers 13. Now, I'll have to decide which verse I want to start with. The earlier verse, preferably, which was, I have no idea, it was, no, 22. Numbers 13, 22 and 23, again, it'll be on the screen. When the Israelites came to the borders of the Promised Land, they sent 12 spies to see what it was like. And they came, they came back and said that the land was good. Milk and honey and grapes as big as golf balls. And there were giants. So most of them said, we can't go in there because we can't defeat the giants. They not long since walked through the Red Sea on dry land and seen Pharaoh's army completely wiped out. But... They were now so terrified of the giants that they were not willing to put their trust in God and said, we can't. But Caleb knew they could overcome the people and the giants and eventually 40 years later, that's what they did. That was after once all those had spoken negatively and would not trust in God to help them had died in the wilderness. And how often do we say in our lives, I can't. I can't do this, I can't do that. But... The Bible tells us that Jesus, that scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If it's a God thing in your life that God wants you to do. Negative speaking and unbelief will prevent God from blessing us. Let's look at verse 23. Again, I'm behind the times here. You've had plenty of time to get there and I'm still scrambling. Uh, Numbers 23, uh, no, sorry, Numbers 13, verse 
and they, they returned. Oh. They came, they came to the brook of Eshkol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bear it between two upon a staff and they brought it. So there's fruit in the land and God wants to load the fruit into our lives and he wants us to become fruitful. But you've got to move forward and be positive about it. Once Caleb said, oh no, we're well able to take the land. Let's go up at once. They actually started to exaggerate the difficulties. They, they make a statement earlier there in verse 23. They say there's giants there. There's, there's grapes, there's milk and honey. And Caleb said, no problem, we're well able, we can. We can do it. Positive statement. He knew with God that that was entirely possible. And once he said that, most of the spies got really worried. They thought, uh-oh, we're going to have to go and face these giants. don't like this idea at all. So they actually started to exaggerate the difficulties. Caleb knew they had to go and do it now. If they didn't go and do it now, they weren't going to do it. They were going to sit around and worry about it and the problem would seem bigger and bigger. So he said, let's, let's go up at once and do this thing. Now Caleb was of the tribe of Judah. That's just something to remember for later. After Caleb had spoken, they said, these giants are actually giant giants. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight. Now your normal giant measures maybe three meters tall. Pretty big, no doubt about it. But how does that make a man grasshopper size? Dwarfs perhaps, but grasshoppers, no way. Their problem was they thought of themselves as grasshoppers. They thought of themselves as less than they really were. They were believing a lie put there by Satan. They said the giants saw them as grasshoppers. How could they possibly know what the giants thought of them? In any case, if they were spies and so afraid of the giants, why would a group of 12 men, obviously foreigners, let the giants see them? The giants had never seen the 12 spies, so they couldn't say they looked like grasshoppers. When we don't want to do what God says, or we don't want to reform our words or our thinking from negative to something more positive, we start to add extra imaginary reasons why we can't. As if the giants weren't enough reason not to go in, they said that every single one of them, the people they saw, if, if you look at Numbers 13, 32, it says they were men of great stature. It says all the men of the land are of great stature. So like, they must have been the smallest people walking around the promised land, everybody else was a lot bigger. In fact, what they're saying is all the ordinary people were giant size. And the giants were oversized giants. 
And we see that we're actually lying. And in Numbers 14, 36 and 37, well, they were lying by exaggeration. Sometimes we exaggerate our problems. In chapter 14, 36, 37, somewhere in 36, 37, says, they brought up a slander upon the land. Brought up a slander on the land. Slander is to lie. It's an untruth. You get taken to court for it if you do it, if you slander someone. And they were also lying because they said we can't, which meant, in effect, God could not do it. Now, all these negative words and imaginary ideas about grasshoppers had scared the Israelites, and they had some really big pictures and bad pictures in their minds. They were imagining bad things like being squashed like grasshoppers. And Satan uses our imaginations to bring fear and defeat us before we even try. In a way, they'd become, they'd become the grasshoppers. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's how we use, it, it's, it's important how we use our imaginations. And uh, I believe the enemy can use our imaginations to bring fear. The, 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 weapon, the weapon of the enemy, most, most of the time, that he uses against us to prevent us getting the blessings of God is fear. And in the Bible, it's like 365 times or something, it says, fear not. The main problem that people have is fear. Mental hospitals are full of people because of it. This is what we often do. We exaggerate the problem, we magnify the enemy, we minimize ourselves, and we ignore God's power and say, I can't, instead of magnifying God and saying, I can. In verse 22 of chapter 14, we see that God's main problem was actually not so much the exaggeration, but it was fact that they were not willing to trust him. Even though he brought them through the Red Sea and done many miracles for them in the wilderness. And we were delivered from Egypt, which represents the idolatrous world system, and Pharaoh, who represents Satan. We've had that experience if we're saved. And God has done miracles for us. He did miracles for the Israelites in the wilderness. If you've been a Christian any length of time, God will have done miracles for you and probably done miracles at the point of salvation and brought a major change then. But a lot of the other changes which God wants to bring are things that we have to cooperate to help him to do as he changes our minds. And yet despite our own experiences, we do find it hard to trust, to trust him. We seem to forget, we seem to forget very rapidly um, the Israelites had not long been out of Egypt and had not long crossed the Red Sea, but when they faced the giants, they said, no, this is too hard. They didn't refer back to God's capacity. And that's what God did when he uh, instituted all the celebrations, the so-called feasts that the Israelites had to observe. Again and again and again, they were reminded several t each, each year at least about things like the Red Sea, the Passover, the deliverance by Queen Esther. They, they, they go through those things over and over because we forget. It keeps it real in your mind to remember the goodness of God. 
Anyway, fortunately, God seems to have more patience with us than with the Israelites, possibly because Jesus intercedes for us. But we will never enjoy the shalom of God or victories and beneficial changes in our lives that God wants to bring until we take down our giants. Now, 1 Samuel 17, we have, um, we have the account of David and Goliath. David also was a man of the tribe of Judah. And he was another man who said, I can, when no one else was willing to try. The Israelites hadn't changed much. They didn't see God in the picture. And there was only David, like Caleb. All the other, all the other Israelites saw the problem. They saw the giants and were dismayed. Our natural eye and our logical interpretation of what we see can easily defeat us unless we add God to the picture. And fear is the enemy that has to be defeated. We have to learn not to be intimidated by what we see. You know, because God is about change and what we see can be changed. It's temporal. It's what we see now. God's looking to the future. He says, I'm going to bless you. I want you to come into my peace. I want you to have my fruitfulness. So... We've not got to focus right now. Our focus has got to be forward. There is a phrase in our language that people often use, and I've used it myself. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I can't help you. I'm afraid it's going to be very hot today. I'm afraid not etc., etc., plus many other negative phrases. So, we have an environment that's mainly negative. We need to listen to our own words and our thoughts and do our best to get rid of the negative fear words. Now, seriously, if there's nothing good to say, then at least let's shut our mouth. You're better still say, praise the Lord. And everybody looks at you and thinks you're an idiot, thinks you're a fool. Yes, you are a fool. Because, in their eyes, because the word says that the things of God are foolishness to the natural man. And in fact, even as Christians, sometimes when people say, praise the Lord, you look at them and think, mm, no. how's that going to solve the problem? They obviously can't see what the real problem is, otherwise I wouldn't say that. But, David and Goliath is not a made-up story. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, 100% true, there is proof that Goliath actually existed. And that's the hill called Golgotha in Jerusalem. When David had cut Goliath's head off, he took it to Jerusalem and he placed it on the hill where Jesus was later crucified, which is called the skull. The place of Goliath's skull. Goliath came from the city of Gath, hence Golgoth Golgatha or Golgotha. Goliath looked scary and he made sure 
that his words reinforce the impression. He knew the power of words to scare. And Satan knows the power of words to scare and God knows the power of words to bless and to strengthen and to give us victory. But David was above all a worshipper. Thank you for the worship, Karen. I guess my time's running out. I don't have a clock. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I don't have a clock. Um, I am trying to keep to what I've been asked to do. We know that David wrote many of the Psalms. When King Saul was oppressed by an evil spirit, David played music for him and the evil spirit left. Even at this early stage in his life when he met Goliath, he had a very strong awareness of the supreme power of God and had not forgotten how God had helped him to kill a lion or bear that had tried to steal his father's sheep. He wasn't afraid of a giant because he was counting on the God factor, not what he could see with his eyes. Not only that, he knew that Goliath was an enemy of God, so God would defeat him. And David was from the tribe of Judah. He was actually indignant that this ungodly giant thought he could defy God's people because he understood and believed and knew from his past experiences that God would help him to kill Goliath. But David was also very mo motivated and focused on the rewards. I think it's First Samuel 17, 24 to 30. That's not, sorry, but anyway, I'll make my point. David was, was also very motivated and focused on the rewards he could get if he killed Goliath. I'm sure he would have killed Goliath without any rewards from King Saul. But if you look in the scripture at how he gets the Israelite to tell him no less than three times about the benefits he will get if he kills Goliath, he hears the men talking, you'll get the king's daughter, you'll get riches, you'll get freedom from taxes for the rest of your life. And David said, what? What did you say? So they told him again. And then he went and walked and asked some of the other guys and said, what did the king say you get if you kill this Goliath? And they told him the same thing. And then he asked again of another group of people. And we often need to be more focused on the rewards. We need to be focused on that future blessing that we're going to get instead of looking at the problem now. That's a motivation to actually... The rewards are much bigger than the problem anyway. But the Bible says without faith it's impossible to believe God. Faith requires that we look beyond the current problem and not stay focused on it. This is where our imaginations can help us. Look at the things we can't see yet and believe that we shall have them. The benefits of giant killing are fantastic. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and he was a tribe of Judah. Coincidentally, if you want to call it that, The sacrificial lambs which were slaughtered at the temple were bred in Jerusalem. So the shepherds would have seen the new lamb when it was born, examined it to see if it was perfect enough 
to be used as a sacrifice. And then they would wrap it They'd wrap it in swaddling cloths or clothes cloths because it was perfect. If that lamb was perfect and it was suitable for the sacrifice, it was going to be, it needed to be wrapped because when lambs are born, they jump around all over the place and they don't know what they're doing. And it might have injured itself, it might have scarred itself. And the sacrifice had to be perfect. Hebrews 7.14 says, It is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. So the old sacrificial system was of blood, continual rivers of blood, and it never actually washed the sin away, it only covered it. But Jesus kept the law perfectly, never sinned, gave his life as the spotless lamb and that sacrificial system is done away but what is required because we're talking about spirits the spirits of just men made perfect and God requires a sacrifice of praise continually well requests it it's up to, it's up to us Now, Judah means praise. It comes from the Hebrew word yada. Well, in scripture it's YDH. Whether it's YDH for Judah or YDH for yada makes no difference because the scripture in Hebrew is written without the vowels. But you can hear the similarity. It means to stretch forth the hands. That's why we lift our hands when we worship. It's only one of seven words that's in scripture that tell us how to worship God. So the emphasis on worship in God's word is enormous. But Psalm 22.3 says Thou art holy, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. In other words, when we praise God it brings his presence and his power into our situation. You want to stay in your problem, then just complain. It'll probably make it worse. If you want to get out of it, say praise the Lord. Or think of some scripture which counteracts what's going on, which is a promise of God. There's hundreds of promises in the Bible. So we have to get to know the word so that we know how to speak. It says somewhere in scripture there that I've, hid your word, I've hidden your word in, in, in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, we think sinning is killing somebody, which it is, but it's a lot less than that. It's, it's speaking negatively because it's, it's contrary to God's word. When Jesus was in the temple, and Jesus was not a meek and mild person at all, sorry, don't agree with that, that's tradition and it's not true. He was very confrontational, in fact, as a person. Because he wanted to bring people to realisations. He wanted to shake them out of where they were and bring about change. Anyway, when he was in the temple one Sabbath day, 
He knew that the Pharisees were all watching him to see if he was going to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. And there was a man in there who had a withered hand. And he said to that man, in full hearing of everybody, just at the point when he knew he had their, all their attention, he said, stretch forth your hand. Yada, yada, your hand. In other words, praise God. And his hand was healed. His capacity, that man's capacity to act, that man's capacity to be something, to go get what he wanted in life, his hand was restored. God brought healing to him. Psalm 138 two says, You have magnified your word above all your name. I'm going to stop just now because I'm aware I'm probably well over time. But I did want to make this point. Psalm 138.2 says, you have magnified your word above all your name. Some translations change that because they don't see how anything could be higher than God's name. At first sight it seems impossible, but the word of God is the executive power of God. So it's of more significance than God's name. We also know that Jesus sits at the right hand of God that he created all things and that he is the word of God. If you look in chapter, John chapter 1, 1, you will see that. Now I'm going to ask you this morning, if you have not asked Jesus into your life, I'm asking you now to stretch forth your hand. I'm asking you to put your hand up. And I'm not saying close your eyes or anything like that. I'm just saying, put your hand up and do it now. Is there anybody who has not made Jesus Lord of their life, received him into their life? I'm not going to wait. I'm going to ask again, do it now. If you want, you've nothing to lose. Everything to gain. But do it now. I can't wait. I'm over time. You're over time if you're not saved yet as well. Okay, now the other thing is, if you've got a problem in your life that you'd like prayer for, there's a prayer team, we'll pray for you. Speak the word of God into your life. And I'll be here to do that as well if you're brave enough to come and near me or I'll come to you. But if you're going to come up for prayer, come now, please. And we're going to close the service. And if the prayer team will please come. Thank you, Lord.